Uh, we're in a series called Recovering Redemption. Last week was the first week we kicked it off, and if you are not involved in a Sunday school or Bible study that's covering this material, I highly encourage you to get in one. It is absolutely fantastic and a great series that we definitely, as believers, needed. Um, and if you can't make a Sunday school time on Monday night, so tomorrow night, uh, the praise band practices for the following week, so the week that we'll be playing and sound checking, we do the Bible study or the Sunday school lesson for. So everybody is invited to come to that one. If you know you're going to miss one, please show up and be at that one to catch it. So last week we looked at the fall in the book of Genesis, the fall of man, and we took a closer look at Adam and Eve and what role we play as Christians and the bigger picture of what the gospel uh, means to us. And when we talk about the gospel, we're not talking about just good news. Uh, but for there to be good news, there has to be bad news as well. For there to be good news, there has to be bad news. And the bad news is what we see in Genesis with the first failure of man with Adam and Eve. And that started the earth on this path of destruction that we're still on as human beings. Ever since that day, ever since that first sin was committed, uh, mankind has been looking for the remedy to sin. The remedy that heals everything, that changes everything. The remedy to our brokenness, the remedy to our sickness, our sadness, and ultimately, most importantly, the remedy to our death. Something none of us can escape. So how many people here, just by a show of hands, have ever tried a home remedy of some sort? Your grandma, your crazy aunt, or somebody had some crazy home remedy. Who's tried it? Right, 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 right. What's up? All the young kids apparently don't, don't do remedies. Um, but we live in a culture where we'll try about anything uh, to avoid either, like, doing a lot of hard work or going to the doctor and dealing with insurance, and we'll try whatever we can on our own to try and create a remedy. So I kind of looked up a couple bizarre remedies uh, to research for my sermon, which was very interesting, and I want to see how many of you guys have tried some of these remedies. They may or may not work, but if they do and you tried it, let me know. But let's go through a couple of those. So number one, for our youth, it's prom season, and urine cures acne. Anybody try that one? Nobody wants to raise their hand? Okay. So urine cures acne is one I saw. Hang dirty socks around your neck to cure a sore throat. Has anybody heard that one? Done it? No? Man. Uh, I, I, this one's interesting. Uh, tobacco cures earaches. Now, how many people have heard that? I know some people have heard that, right? So this was actually done to Elvis. You know Elvis? Uh, by his mother, where she would take either like chewing tobacco and stuff in his ears or smoke and blow the smoke into your ears. So apparently nicotine is good. Uh, earwax cures cold sores. You don't need that $40 bottle that's this big anymore. Just get you a little earwax. Swipe it on. Uh, f for those of you, you know, maybe downtown Shelbyville, you know, the big city of downtown Waldron, laying on train tracks to get small electric shots through your body to help stop the pain. Anybody lay on any train tracks? Nope? Okay. And my, the last one, and very interesting, and if a famous person, famous Kardashian or somebody puts this on Instagram, all the girls will do it. Bird poop facials make your skin softer. <laughs> Anybody do that one? No? But that is... Our culture, we are into trying to do things the easy way or finding different ways to do things. And in the past decade, we have seen an explosion in other type of remedies in our society. So when somebody first decides they're going to get in shape, where's the first place they go? Is it to the gym? Is it for a run? 
Or is it to GNC to buy a bunch of supplements that are going to give you 30-second washboard abs or whatever it is, right? My generation is huge about this. I remember in college, guys would just, instead of going to the gym and workout, we would go to GNC and just do this, you know, rack it all in, take everything thinking that, you, and you don't even have to touch a weight. This is just going to make me strong. Uh, this is one of the fastest growing industries in the world. Uh, it's the Nutritional Supplement Group, otherwise known as Vitamins, Minerals, and Supplements. And it's producing about $32 billion in revenue for just the nutritional supplements alone in 2012. And it's projected to double that by topping $60 billion by the year 2021, according to the Nutritional Business Journal. And what's amazing, especially to some health professionals, is the majority of the stuff we're buying is an FDA-approved, regulated, and has done no long-term tests to find out if it even works. Uh, and I am guilty of this as well. Uh, when I was in middle school and high school, my father, who is a product of the Arnold Schwarzenegger generation, where it's bigger the better, uh, was constantly taking me to the gym all the time, dragging me there. And uh, if you don't know, his, he doesn't care how much you make. He doesn't care what kind of car you drive. But by God, if you can bench more than 300 pounds, you're all right in his book. So that's why him and Coach Parks have really hit it off for years. He just is amazed at being able to lift the entire school. Uh, but I was a late bloomer as a kid. You know, some of you guys know I didn't really hit puberty until halfway through high school. So dad's trying to bulk me up, beef me up for sports. So we go and we get some of the cheap Walmart version of supplements because we're too cheap for GNC. Um, and we come home with it, and waiting for us there is a medical professional, otherwise known as my mother, the pharmacist, who began lecturing us on the dangers of unregulated supplements and taking them as a youth. Uh, and that's probably one of the few times in my life where I remember my dad sitting right next to me getting lectured uh, growing up. So what did we do with all of it? Naturally, we hid it from her, and we tried to get them gains. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just, but our society is constantly looking for the quick fix, the magic pill, or the magic piece of equipment that will turn us all into Greek gods. Did anybody have a $3,000 uh, clothes hanger, also known as uh, the Bowflex? Anybody? That's the best thing in college we had, was the Bowflex to hang clothes on. But as the lesson says from this past week, uh, we want a ripped up, tanned, handsome self with money falling out of our pockets. That's what our goal is in our mind. But the truth of the matter is a better, more perfect version of you will still disappoint you. You will still fail regularly. You will still lie you will still watch pornography. You will still act selfishly. You'll still cut corners at work. You'll still be envious of somebody else's higher level of success and wealth. And you still will not surrender your life to your spouse. You will still send texts or messages about things you shouldn't, about people you shouldn't, to people you shouldn't. You'll continue to gossip, complain, slander, and continue to deceive yourself. No matter what you do or what you look like or how much money you have, you're still going to fall far short. So that means for us, we, you, are not the remedy to our satisfaction problem, to your satisfaction issue. And other people are not the remedy to our satisfaction problem. Whether it be your wife, spouse, friends, coworkers, they are not the remedy to your satisfaction issue. And neither is the world, no matter how much money you make, what type of car you drive, how many vacations you go on a year, or how big your house is, none of those will solve your satisfaction problem. And neither will religion. So let me explain that one a little further. Everybody's, whoa, religion. Religion in the sense that, that, because you become, that because you come to church and live a good life and you do all these good deeds, that somehow that saves you. And that you never fully 
turn your life over to Christ. With everything else we've discussed, you sitting in church on Sunday but refusing to allow Christ to change your heart, no more saves you than sitting in a garage makes you a car. You cannot save you. It's impossible. We're humans. So where do we go from here with this message of doom and gloom? We're all, we're all in a bad way right now. What hope is there for us? So from the verse that Cody read today, Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, we see that it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us, weak and ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he goes on to say in verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. While we were still enemies, that is strong language. The Greek word there actually translates into deeply rooted hatred a deeply rooted hatred. That was the type of enemies that we were to Christ. We were someone who didn't deserve to be saved. We're someone that didn't deserve to have somebody die for them. But Christ took that bullet for us. More importantly and more exact, he took the cross for us. And you did not save yourself. You couldn't save yourself. How can we save ourselves when we are creating, created being with no power and more importantly, no power over death? Now, some of you are skeptical when it comes to the scriptures and how true they are and how valid they are, and I, I appreciate skeptics. I, lo- I love skeptics because skeptics constantly are seeking the truth. They're constantly questioning, and that's God's all for, constantly questioning and asking questions. But how can we trust these words in the Bible that they are true? Uh, we've been looking, this at, looking at this at Focus on Wednesday night with the junior, senior, not high. You know, how can we believe the Bible? How, we can, how can we can trust there is a God when we are inundated with so many different theories of how the world is here? And there's so many explanations that are desperately seeking to replace God and therefore making ourselves a God. So if, we, if you can just trust the first sentence in the Bible, then the rest is so much easier to trust. Genesis 1-1, somebody shout it out. God created the heavens and the earth. All right, we're going to say that together. Ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So out of nothing, God made everything. Out of chaos, God brought order. And if we can trust that first sentence of the Bible, then the rest is so much easier to trust. And typically, though, that one verse divides us into two camps in our society. Either we believe that everything is here by accident, or we believe that we're here by intelligent design, usually one of the two. However, some theoretical physicists say that, uh, that the odds of the earth's fine-tuning, so the perfect environment we have here on earth that can sustain life, uh, the fine-tuning is, uh, on earth happened by chance, that it happened by chance would be like this. So if we took dimes, the smallest U.S. currency, and we covered the entire North America continent, USA and Canada, and we stacked those dimes clear to the moon, a height of 239,000 miles, after that, we need to next pile dimes from here to the moon on a billion other continents, just the same size as North America. Now, we're going to take one dime and we're going to paint it red, one red dime, and we're going to mix it up among the billions of stacks of dimes. Next, you're going to take your friend, you're going to blindfold them, and then you're going to tell them to find the red dime. The odds that he will pick the red dime is the exact same odds that the ratio between the electromagnetic force and gravitational force in our, on our planet, in our universe, happened by chance. 
Another scientist who coined the term Big Bang named Fred Hoyle said this, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as with chemistry and biology. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Notice he still didn't say God. He still didn't say Judeo-Christian God. He didn't say Jesus. He said that there's something out there, some super intellect, that has monkeyed with everything. And yet another one by the name of Dr. John Lennox said, the more we get to know our universe, the more the hypothesis that there is a creator gains in credibility as the best explanation of why we are here. And God loves science. God created science. Science and Christianity are not at odds with one another. But I believe as humans, we have a sin nature with a desire to sin. And we also have a desire to believe in anything other than God, anything but God. Or we might compromise our faith with the world as, we, as not to have to fully accept the Bible and its gospel in its fullness. Because what does that mean if we accept Genesis 1-1 and we accept the gospel? What does that mean for us? It demands that we respond to it. It demands a response. That's what the gospel does. It's hard, it's hard to ignore, but sometimes we still do that. And our tendency as humans is to find reasons not to surrender our life to Christ. Whatever it can be, if we can find, find a reason not to, we will do that because we are sin-driven, sin-natured. And the word surrender, Americans struggle with that. We all struggle with the word surrender as proud, flag-waving Americans. And as a soldier, I especially don't like the word surrender. Uh, old Granville Carpenter in the back, he can identify with me. In Ranger School, we have a creed known as the Ranger Creed, and we had to memorize it and say it every day, multiple times a day, and there was just minute differences in words. Instead of will, there would be the word shall and vice versa all the way through it. If you said one word wrong, you had to start over, and then you'd get a little smoke session too. We'd have to say it before we could eat, before we could get our few precious hours of sleep at night, and sometimes they would just spring it on us, make us recite it so they could smoke us some more. Uh, and if you don't know what the term being smoked means, I'm going to give you an example of it. So while I was at ranger school, uh, we just got back from a long patrol. It was late at night. You know, usually you go to bed sometime between midnight, and if you go to bed, and sometimes you don't, uh, four or five, and then you're back up again. And we just got back from a long day of patrols, and we're, we're finally bedding down. We're getting ready to go to sleep. But in the Army, somebody has to pull security at all times. So it was my turn to pull security during all this precious sleep I was supposed to be getting. So I got, and it's usually about an hour, 30 minutes, somewhere in there that you do it, and then you rotate to the next person. So it was my turn to pull security, and, I've, and, the, and the ranger instructors had left. So usually, and it was cold, it was winter, usually they're sitting in a car with the heater on, or they're by a campfire, and they just really don't care about us for a couple hours. So I figured, you know, I might skate by, I'm going to keep my boots off, which is a big deal. If you're on security, you want to have some boots on. And I took off my jacket top, and I was just laid out on my nice, comfy little uh, sleeping bag out in the woods. And then, all of a sudden, another ranger instructor who came walking in with his, his platoon, which we thought everybody was back, came walking right by us. And he looks and sees everybody laid out, nobody pulling security. It was some crazy Irish guy. Uh, and he yelled, who's on, who's on security here? And I jumped up, and, you know, you're in the Army. So I said, I am, right here. And then he looks at me, and he goes, are you even wearing any boots? And I was, in the Army, you just admit it. No, I'm jacked up. I'm an idiot. He's like, I got something for you, and he takes off. And we're like, what? He's got something for us. So next thing we know, 
Artie Sims, if you don't know what that is, it's basically giant fireworks, are flying everywhere. And there are explosions everywhere. And we're, get everybody up. So all 130 of us now are getting up, running out in the field at 2 in the morning in like 20-degree weather. And we're doing push-ups, sit-ups, front-back goes. It was miserable. All because Lieutenant Barlow wanted to take a nap <laughs> instead of doing his job. So, and during that time, while we're getting smoke, we are constantly reciting the Ranger Creed, indoctrinating us, burning it into our minds so we know it. And the Ranger Creed has six stanzas or verses, and the first word of each one spells out the word Ranger, so the letter coordinates with it. In the fifth stanza of the Ranger Creed, it addresses surrender, and it goes like this. Energetically will I meet the enemies of my country. I shall defeat them on the field of battle, for I am better trained, and shall fight with all my might. Surrender is not a ranger word. I will never leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy, and under no circumstances will I ever embarrass my country. For us, surrender is a very bad thing. You don't surrender. You would rather die on the battlefield than surrender. And for us as Americans, that is ingrained in us as, as well. However, the crux of the gospel is this. We must surrender our lives to Christ because he is the only one who can save us. We must deny ourselves as gods and turn to the real God, the creator of the universe. And we can be kidnapped by ourselves, by others, by the world, even by our religion, and held hostage by a lifestyle that in our hearts we don't really want, and it's one that we want to be set free from. But sometimes comfort seems to sneak in, and we find ourselves complacent in our false gods, never fully surrendering, and instead trusting our own good deeds, our own selves, for salvation. Mike Iaconelli, the author of the book Dangerous Wonders, he said this, What happened? What happened to our liveness? How could we grow up, accumulate 12 to 15 years of education or more, get married, have children, work for decades, and never really live? How could we begin our lives with clarity and passion, wonder and spontaneity, yet so quickly find ourselves at the middle or end of our lives, dull and bleary-eyed, lifeless and passionless? The death of a soul, the death of a soul is never quick. It is a slow dying, a succession of little deaths that continue until we wake up one day on the edge of God's voice, on the fringe of God's love. We're at war between dullness and astonishment. We start to believe that the good news is no longer good news. It's just okay news. That Christianity is no longer life-changing, it is just life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. And if Christianity is simply about being nice, I am not interested. So be honest with yourself. Reflect on what I just read. Are you just nice? Is this you? Is the good news just okay news? Is it a little bit more life-enhancing news? This, but remember what I said at the very beginning. For there to be good news... There has to be bad news. So the bad news is we're all not okay. But the good news is it's okay to not be okay. That was the whole reason for Jesus. Jesus became sin for us. When he died, your sin died with him. After he died, he was buried in the tomb, and your sin was buried with him. And when he arose from the grave and walked out, your sin didn't walk out with him. Your sin stayed in the tomb, buried forever, so that we, you, could live forever. The cross is just a ladder. Get that picture. The cross is a ladder. God came down that ladder to us so someday 
we could go up that ladder. God came down that ladder for us, so someday we could go up that ladder. No other religion in the world makes this claim. In every other religion, no matter what it is, it is you who climbs the ladder to the deity. Only in Christianity is that Christ came down to save you. And he doesn't tell you to try harder, to read your Bible more, to give more, pray more, go to church more, and then I will save you. No, what he says is meet me at the cross, bring all your sin with you, and I will kill it and bury it there so that it doesn't kill and bury you any longer. And we tell ourselves, if I, change, if I change, then I can follow Jesus. Maybe if I start living right, maybe if I attend church, maybe if I start giving a little more tithing, then I can start to follow, follow Jesus. But what Jesus says is, follow me and I will change you. That's the gospel. That's what the whole point of Jesus was. We can't save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And God came down to save us. So I challenge you that we need to surrender our lives to him and let the creator of the universe change you from the inside out. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you that you are a God who loves us and that's the reason we sing all these worship songs and they talk so much about your love and that's exactly what it is. And your love is shown through us by this, that you died for us, that you made a way for us. We are humans, we are sinful, we are broken people and we can sometimes just deceive ourselves into the comfort of the world and the comfort of our religion. But what we really need to do is have a relationship with you. Surrender our lives to you, God. We thank you so much that you sent Jesus to be that ladder for us, that made that way for us to make it to heaven. And we just ask that you bless us all as we go out this place and change our hearts. It's your name we pray. Amen.